the apostle. It was anyone who said yes to the Lord and was a disciple would carry the message that Jesus is alive. So we, we spent a lot of time really just working through the first known Apostles' Creed. And that the Apostles' Creed was written to help keep people aligned in such a way that people wouldn't be able to come and steal or take away the reality that Jesus is alive. Let me read the creed to you. Some of you have heard it last 10 weeks, but I'm just going to read it to everybody here. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Christ Jesus, his only Son, our Lord, who was born of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, was crucified under Pontius Pilate and was buried. On the third day, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead, and in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the remission of sins, the resurrection of the flesh, and life everlasting. Amen. So today, imagine this, on Resurrection Sunday, we're going to finish with this confession. The confession that finishes the creed. That I believe, and I pray you believe, in the resurrection of the flesh and life everlasting. Just say those words, and life everlasting. Now close your eyes and say those words again, and life everlasting. What pictures begin to to fill your mind's eye when you think about life everlasting? I think some of the the pictures may be maybe shattered a little bit today, realigned a little bit today, but that's an incredible promise. In Romans chapter 6, Paul writes these words, For when you were slaves of sin... You were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Say that word, death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let me, let me just reference a part of this scripture that is very important to get. Everybody that has ever lived is going to live forever. They're going to live, some are going to live forever in Christ, and some are going to live outside of Christ. Inside of Christ, you have life. Outside of Christ, you have death. Inside of Christ, you have joy. Outside of Christ, you have torment. And so when Paul is saying this, it's important to understand that it's not eternal life, That's the gift. It's eternal life in Christ Jesus. There's the gift. And so what I want to do is I want to break the scripture down in three areas this morning. I want us to really start by looking at the devastation. And then I want to look at the demonstration. And then I want to talk a little bit about the destination. But the devastation that Paul is referencing in this portion of scripture 
is that people live their life and they ultimately lose it. This is devastating. It's devastating because there are people that work tremendously hard at building a life. You may be a person that works yourself to the bone to build a life. But this life that we live in and by itself outside of Christ Jesus will be lost. I'm glad my flesh will be lost because I'm ready for a new one already. But that's only the flesh. Sin ultimately is what brings death to us the first time. Sin is just very simply missing the mark. It's, it's doing something that is wrong. And the moment you do something wrong in your life for the very first time, you die. Now, it's not that you stop breathing. It's not that you stop smelling or hearing. But now you've been disconnected. You've been removed from life itself. What happens so often, I said, you know, as Paul said those words that you are a slave to sin. You become a slave to sin, not because you just did one thing wrong. But the Bible uses two words. It uses the word sin, and it uses the word iniquity. Now, if I think about it this way, um, have you ever been uh, out going hiking or doing something, and you step in an area of dirt that is wet, and it's really muddy? Have you ever done that? Uh, and, and, you, and you lift your foot, and all of a sudden, there is mud all over your shoe. What do you do? You do everything you can to get rid of it. You know, you slide your feet, you know, whatever you do, trying to get rid of the mud. Well, when we sin, it's a little bit like looking at that, that muddy dirt and taking a step in it. And you get this on your foot. But when the Bible talks about iniquity, this is where you become a slave to it. Because you keep stepping into that mud so much that you get used to all the mud on your feet. And you stop trying to get rid of it. Now, if you look around, you see people who are doing everything they can to make the best of walking around life with muddy feet. They, they use money, they use sex, they use drugs, they use relationship after relationship after relationship, and all they're doing is walking around with this proverbial mud on their feet. Because what iniquity is, is just crookedness, this inability to walk and live straight. And so what happens is that our world is set up in such a way that if you were to go online, you would find, you could find something called the quality of life index. This is where man has come up with a formula to make sure that we are walking around with mud on our feet in a way that at least is comfortable. Some of the things that they put on this quality of life index is education. Because certainly if you get educated enough, you're going to be able to get that mud off. But yet, if you know educated people that live uh, a sinful life, you go, yeah, they're still really crooked. Nobody ever got better by education. They also say that prosperity is part of this quality of life index. And nobody ever made enough money to actually get to the place where they weren't walking and living a crooked lifestyle. But they also call health 
a quality of life. And, and they, they talk about our, our, our way of living and our connectivity. And not that these things are bad. But it's important to understand that, that it's devastating when you think that that's all there is. If you're living in such a way that everything lines up to your quality of life index based on what man has said, you are missing the mark. Because ultimately, you could live it for 60, 70, 80, 90 years. But the fact is, is you're going to leave it. And they've got ways for you to leave it for others. I mean, you know, go out and make sure you have a living trust. And, you know, and that's a good and wise thing to do. But it is understanding a reality that you don't get to take it with you. And so people end up living this false hope. Jesus said, what profit is it if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? So while man groped around for thousands of years trying to get life figured out, Jesus came along. And Jesus demonstrated, ultimately, how to live it. And because of his demonstration, we can now know where the mark is. Jesus came and never sinned. He had this impeccable character. When Jesus came and lived on this on this earth, he never did anything violently. He didn't live, do anything with deceit. He didn't lie to anybody. He didn't try to cheat anybody. He lived without any kind of blemish. He lived out without any kind of spot in his life, and not because he was God, but because he set his eyes on life and never disconnected from it. He fulfilled all, Scripture says he fulfilled all righteousness, and think about it this way. When the Bible says that he fulfilled all righteousness, he just got everything right. Now, who do you know that got everything, gets everything right? Nobody. Nobody gets everything right. He was tempted, and he didn't give in to pleasure. He was tempted, and he didn't give in to pride. He was tempted and didn't give in to, to uh, the acquisition of power. He just said no. And yet, while he walked with this impeccable character... He also had these incredible claims. He claimed things that caused people to shake their heads and, and wonder about what he was even talking about. He would say things like he could forgive sins. He's the one who could give eternal life. That he would be the one that would judge the world. He even said that he was worthy of worship. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And people who were walking around who only knew crookedness, who, didn't, who, who were living the devastated lifestyle, didn't understand it. These are crazy claims. But the other thing that he did is he had this inexhaustible compassion that he lived with. He was constantly having compassion on children who people would try to brush him away because, you know, children, they're a nuisance. That wasn't an amen spot. I'm glad you didn't amen that. Even the, even the sick, he wanted to bless them. He wanted to do what he can to have compassion on them. In fact, you find a couple of different times there were people who were mourning because their loved one died. He has such compassion that he raises them from the dead. He looks at the hungry 
And he couldn't sit by idly. He had this inexhaustible compassion that says, we got to feed him. I've often wondered if I was with the disciples, how I would have responded when Jesus looked at me and went, you feed him. But he also had this incomparable love. He had an ability to love the unlovable. He loved those who were social outcasts, who were racially different from him, who were moral outsiders. In fact, he loved so much that he gave his own life And in giving his own life, not only did he live it, he ends up leaving it. And it's important you grasp this this morning. His love is a doorway for us to step through. And it was created by his life. The life that you and I could not live, he lived. The life that, that you tried and I tried to live so, so we could ultimately leave it to other, he said, I don't even need to worry about that. I'm going to live in this incredible place of character. I'm going to live in this incredible place of purity. And what am I going to do? I'm going to leave it. And all we have to do is say, I receive it. I receive your life. And when we receive his life, there's this exchange that happens. This exchange of my old way of life for his new old way of life. Now, some, of, some, some religious people, you need to hear this, whether you're in the room or you're online, you need to hear this. Very important. You need to stop trying to give God your best and exchange it for Jesus' best. He is way better. The Christian life, the life that, that ultimately is constantly moving toward Jesus is a life of exchange. We exchange our old life for his life. So that means you exchange your corruptible character for his incorruptible character. That means that you exchange your falsehoods for his incredible claims. Means that you exchange your human acts of kindness for his inexhaustible compassion. It means you exchange human love for incomparable love. Why do we do that? Because we don't want to live a devastating life. We were shown a demonstration of a life that lived it and then leaves it so we can receive it. And then we then go, we have a destination now. We have a destination. We're going someplace. Now, I know it's Resurrection Sunday, and all of you want to hear about heaven. We're going to heaven. Okay. Yeah, we'll get there. But that's not the destination. If you live the Christian life for heaven, you are missing it. The destination is, in fact, Jesus Christ. The destination is always Jesus Christ. I'm always looking to live my life in him. You know, this is a little, if you've not experienced this, you, you, you won't fully understand it. we got to pray that the Lord reveals it to your heart. But when Jesus is your destination, 
what you find is that everywhere you go, everything you do, you're finding this joy and you're finding this place of satisfaction and completeness because you're not doing it outside of Jesus Christ. You're doing it right in the middle of him. And so the, the joy that you experience, you find you want more and more and more. And so what you find is that on the inside, you know, wait a minute, I'm only getting started. There is no actual place of a destination other than Jesus. I'm going to do this forever because Jesus is life. And when I'm smack dab in the middle of life, I experience the moments of joy and completeness that can be found nowhere else. There may be moments in life where you have these short interactions. But ultimately, when you're in the middle of Jesus, you always look and go, wait a minute. My best days are ahead. Now, I had a moment yesterday. One of my kids, and when I say kids, my kids are adults. They're mature and they're godly, which I think is great. I praise Jesus for it. But one of my adult children looked at me yesterday and said, Dad, are you going through a midlife crisis? Now, some of you will get this, others you won't. Your kids are always your kids. And in that moment, I just wanted to beat them senseless. It caused me pause. I went, I don't think I'm going through a midlife crisis. Some of you are going, how do you get to that point? I stopped and went, okay, Lord. Here's, a, here's, here's what I know here, and I know here, that I'm going toward you always. And, and I don't know what midlife crisis looks like in eternity. I just don't know. I know it surprises some of you. I am over 50. Some call that midlife crisis. I could just feel the shock in the room. But why did it cause me pause? Because I haven't arrived yet. I'm in Christ, and being in Christ is an ongoing, forever learning experience. And so I, I stopped and said, okay, Lord, I don't think I'm going through midlife crisis here. Jesus, please help me not to be, you know, because there's always a part of our life that we're a little blind to. But in the end, I'm like, you're nuts, and you're lucky I'm not beating you senseless. Because when you live a life that is directionally going toward Jesus, hear me on this, this will be forever. Your best days are always in front of you. They're always in front of you. And so I want to learn. So that means that, that, that when I, I have these moments where uh, maybe it's around, around the table with family and friends. And, and you'll, you'll know these moments where you just sit back and you go, it doesn't get any better than this. And it's just the Spirit saying, that's just a little part of the big part. That when you are resurrected, every little bit of joy that you're receiving now is going to open up. 
And it's going to open up because Jesus is alive. And so we believe that we will be resurrected to everlasting life. And so I want to continue to have those discoveries. Now that means that as you learn it, as you learn it, you get excited. And some of you need to hear this, that when you get excited about this, it doesn't mean that God is calling you to full-time vocational ministry. But it's good that you're excited because you're experiencing the awe, the wonder, the splendor. You want to pray for people. You want to be able to share the faith. You want to go around and go, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. And you think that in our culture, the only way to do that is become a full-time vocational minister. No. I believe, I believe in full-time ministry for everybody. The difference for me is it's a vocation. For you, your vocation may be as a business owner. Your vocation may be as a manager. Your vocation may be as an accountant or a plumber or a carpenter or whatever it is. Your vocation is your place of ministry. Because it's your opportunity to be able to say that Jesus is alive. And as you do that more and more, here's what will happen. You are going to grow into a whole new quality of life index. What the rest of the world is fighting for and what the rest of the world is going after, you're going to go, I don't need that. Because this quality of life is what it's all about. And that's what I'm going after. Now, listen, you do that, people are going to say things like, well, that's an incredible claim. That's just crazy. Why do, you, why do you love that person? They're such a jerk because you're showing this inexhaustible compassion and love. And you grow in it. And what you find is you really begin to just love it. It's the kind of life that is the polar opposite of what the rest of the world is doing, and that's Walking Dead, which would make a good TV show, I suppose. But it's the polar opposite. You're walking around not trying to survive or not trying to stay out of the way, but you're engaging the reality of Jesus. In fact, as that goes up, as that begins to think, now all of a sudden, now you begin to step in in such a way, and here's what's happened. You live with this passion, and you live with an urgency because you understand this time that we have is but short. And there's all of eternity in front. So I don't have to work to the bone to get something I'm going to leave. Now I can work to leave something that is eternal, that will last. As Jesus said, the fruit that will come from you will be plentiful and it will remain. And what happens is now your life is aligned and you're living this positionally correct life. Why? Because you're not trying to get to the destination of heaven. You're just saying, Jesus, I'm all in. Keep me in that direction. Keep me going towards you. Keep me going in you. And if you're here today and you need to step into that door and you're tired of trying to, to get the mud of life off, let me tell you something. One of the last acts that Jesus did is he washed the feet of his disciples. And when you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I want to exchange my life for your life, he takes and all, of the, all of the sin, the grime, the, the, the junk that has accumulated in your life, he takes and he washes it off. 
and he makes it so you can walk correctly. And then you, you, you live this life where now I've got to continually exchange. That's why if, if you make that decision to step in today, the next decision is to be water baptized. It's to say, I'm going to say that I'm going to die to my old life, and I'm going to rise to live his life. And so you need to do that. In fact, if you need to do that, take one of those green cards that you have. In fact, I think I have one up here. It looks like this. And on the back, put your name and number and mark water baptism. Because it says, I'm, I'm going to exchange. And then what you're going to find is you're going to spend the rest of your days on this earth before we meet him, continuing to exchange something in your life. Because you continue to learn, I got to exchange that, I got to exchange that, I'm going to exchange that, I'm going to exchange that. And you grow in this incredible love for it. But here's how I, I really believe the Lord wants to finish today. They didn't just walk around and say, Jesus alive. Because if I was to say, get up to you today and say, uh, maybe this isn't, this will good for about three quarters of you. Elvis is alive. Okay, some of you saw him in Vegas. I get that. Really wasn't him. Ultimately, if I said Elvis is alive, you would want proof. You would want proof that that person is actually living. So it wasn't that they just went around and said, Jesus is alive. They were ready to respond to anyone who said, prove it. And they proved it through the power of the Holy Spirit as they prayed for the sick, as they looked at those who were without and they gave. And they sought every opportunity to prove that Jesus was alive and active in the world. And what people found was that Christianity was not an intellectual experience, but an actual relational experience. And I believe that some of you need to experience that this morning. So that means if you're sick in your body, we're here to proclaim Jesus is alive and he's gonna heal you. If you're at a crisis point in a decision point, I'm here to tell you Jesus is alive and he's here to prove it. Whatever need that you have, Jesus is the one who will prove his own reality. Not so we can just go around going, yeah, I was healed, yeah, I was healed. No, so then we can begin to pass on what we've received. So that we can say, Jesus is alive and he proved it to me, now let me prove it to you. There is no greater life to live than to walk around going, Jesus will prove himself, Jesus will prove himself. So let's stand together. Marco's gonna begin to pray, play. And I'm going to pray. And I'm just going to ask Jesus to begin to do some things. In fact, I've asked some of our prayer partners to, to come and be prepared to pray uh, with each individual because uh, Jesus is alive and he wants to do some things. And so Jesus, we believe, Lord, that you are alive. And we ask that you will come in your might and power and prove yourself mightily to those in need. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, uh, we have, from, from having a sinful uh, experience to being cleaned by you, to having uh, physical issues and financial issues and decision issues, Lord, you're the one who guides us. And so, Lord, we're asking that, Lord, you will increase our relationship with you today by showing yourself real and alive in these next few moments in Jesus' name. 
Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.